Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hi, Larissa. How are you? Not too bad. So far, so good. And yourself? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty good. You know, the sun is out. Uh, it, it, it's summer, and um, this is this is going to be released in the summer. And um, do you prefer summer, winter? What do you like? Autumn. Autumn. Really? Yeah. So, you know, things are sort of slowing down and... Yes, it's neither hot nor cold, just right. Getting ready to hibernate. Kind of. I am not the type who will hibernate, but yeah. Yeah. I like the, I like the feel of autumn. Where are you from originally? So, originally, uh, my parents are from India. Yeah. Lucknow. But I was born in Nepal because my dad worked in, in an airlines for 45 years, so we had to move a lot. So we moved from one country to another every 11 years. So alhamdulillah, had a lot of exposure when it comes to different cultures and languages, cuisines, faiths. It was interesting growing up. And when you say you were born in Nepal, how long were you in Nepal for? Was it just a few days, weeks or? <laughs> no, I was there for a good five years, but my family was there for 11 years. Wow. Whereabouts in Nepal? Kathmandu. Yeah, yeah. I went to Kathmandu in 2010. Oh, okay. And it was crazy. Such a crazy city. It's like, it's like human insects rather than <laughs> just insects. Well, I, I left in 1980, so I haven't oh. went back to, you know, so I have no clue what it's, what it's like now with all the political changes and natural disasters, things have transformed. Yeah. I mean, the thing that really attracted me to, to Kathmandu was the, was the temples. They were mm -hmm. just amazing. You know, yeah. you'd walk in yeah. and, and, you know, you see all these sounds and, and silence at the same time. Yeah. And all the colors, the colors were amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you're a nature lover and you like mountains and climbing and waterfalls, streams and rivers, then that's the kind of place you want to live in. Yeah, yeah. I went to this, uh, I went to Pokhara as well. Oh, Pokhara Park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and just amazing lakes and mountains. And, oh, yes. Um, I, was, uh, um, I, I was doing some cataract surgery there. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Because because there's there's a few organisations that do cataract surgery in in the Himalayas, mm -hmm. so you take your equipment with you, you know, right. to the mountains, and 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 do the operations in the mountains because they can't, wow. yeah, they couldn't come to the hospitals, so that yeah. was an interesting experience. But um, what I didn't enjoy is you know I'm I'm scared of spiders, <laughs> and there's right. massive spiders there. Mm. So that was yeah, my I mean, challenge. If you're living close to the jungle or the national park and reserves, then you're prone to these kind of things, right? And you get used to it. Life goes on for people. So 
Well, it was traumatic, I must say. I mean, I found it quite... Looking at a spider? Yeah, it was quite traumatizing for me. I mean, yeah. doing doing the operations wasn't traumatizing and, and seeing people in distress wasn't traumatizing. And but the yes, spider it, was. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think was. for every human being, every individual, trauma means something different, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were saying about different faiths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what, what did you mean by that? So, for example, when we lived in Bangkok in Thailand, it was like a Buddhist uh, dominant country. We moved to Nepal, it was a Hindu state. Uh, moved to um, Bangladesh, it was a mixture of Muslims, Hindus, Sikh. Same with India, um, different religions, different faiths. Then Pakistan, predominantly Muslim. Then UK, again, pretty diverse, especially London. You've got anything and everything. So being exposed to so many different climates, countries, people, languages, culture, faith, cuisines, it's, it's, um, it's an amazing experience. You learn so much, you know, when you travel, it really opens up your mind and you learn so much about yourself as well, not just people and their culture. And it's a lovely experience. It is. And, and, and what did you learn about yourself over the years? from this experience? Lots of things. For example, sometimes you come across people who are not as privileged as you are. They may not have the same lifestyle luxuries and you know, um, things that you kind of take for granted on a daily basis. For them, it means the world. So that kind of makes you reflect because gratitude is such a big thing, you know? Um, and you're grateful when you see these people that they're struggling um, something as basic as um, a table lamp, for example. Some people don't even have a bulb or, um, you know, for us, it's just open the tab and we've got a clean water to drink. And then you go to some places where people have to walk for miles um, to reach the nearest water source. I mean, and even that is not straightforward. The quality of the water is not fit for consumption. So it really opens up your eyes especially um, countries like, uh, you know, in Asia, Middle East, where people have gone through war, conflict and trauma, especially like my parents. Um, I'm the youngest, but my one of my sisters, she was born during war. So my parents have witnessed things that I can't even think about. Like, Alhamdulillah, I mean, I've never been through starvation or I, I don't remember sleeping on an empty stomach, but they have witnessed stuff like when people were picking grains of rice from the sewers during the 1971 war between India and Pakistan. So it really does open up your mind and it really makes you think and ask questions to yourself like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? And things that I've been taking for granted all these years, there are people without limbs for God's sakes, you know? There, there are people who have lost everything, not just family members, loved ones, or homes or livelihood, when I say everything, like their sanity, you know, um, and they're still smiling, they're still resilient. This, they're still saying like, thank you, God. Like that really, really question, like makes you question things like, you know, um, shakes you to the core. Um, there are pros and cons again. I mean, sometimes you're grateful that you have all these things, these benefits, these luxuries, but then at the same time, it also makes you feel like, extremely upset and you can easily fall into the vicious cycle of grief and sadness and depression because 
you're constantly comparing yourself with others. And then you're like, okay, I wish I could do something to change the circumstances for these people or this individual. But you know, it's beyond your control. There's nothing you can do, not much. And yeah, it's it, like I said, there are pros and cons. Um, you get to, to learn about different people's faith, their beliefs, and it makes you like realize that there's, there's, there are more things to be like, um, you know, to, to form a unity rather to rather than divide because most monotheistic religions they say the same thing right like peace and love love your neighbor and be kind be compassionate so there are so many things that can unite us but we as humans tend to focus on things that divide us and that's where conflict takes place yeah especially yeah. when you know living in a place where you know, as a country, it's a beautiful location. It's a beautiful place. It's blessed with everything. But then there are a group of people who choose to cause chaos or pollute the environment or do things to hurt people. And then you're like, why is this happening? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Essentially, you know, it's, they're all Abrahamic faiths and, you know, it's all, you know, they all have the same foundations. And the polytheistic uh, faiths, you know, that, that, that has pretty much very similar foundations as well. So one can argue that, that, you know, the whole faith system is actually part and parcel of the same, same uh, recipe, oh, yes. I guess. Yeah. yeah which it's is... just they, they look at things differently. We, look, we perceive things differently. Yeah. But the core concepts are pretty much the same yeah yeah and you know that that's sort of where one can argue that you know um psychology and psychoanalysis originates from yeah. from actually modern religious thought or modern philosophical thought and religion one can argue is you know another form of philosophy and it's all you know it's all kind of similar um I mean, as you said um sorry go on yeah i mean i was i was i was i was gonna say you know as you said division is essentially what it's about and conflict and particularly internal conflict yeah. and from the internal conflict comes the external conflict but um why is it easier to sort of focus on the the difference and the conflict rather than you know the non-conflict or the similarities I think as humans, we just love to be um, in a state of anxiety, in a state of intrapsychic conflict. It's like we are attracted towards things that are complicated and we just tend to ignore or overlook things that are easy, simple. Um, whether it's man-made laws or divine laws, they were introduced to make things easy for us, to make life easy. But we choose to complicate things as humans, you know? Um, the solution might be there staring in our face, but we choose to focus so much on the problem. And, you know, as the saying goes, that we suffer more in our, in our imagination than in reality. And that's the case with most human beings. But mind is such a powerful tool. If you could kind of shift our focus on positivity, on, on things that are in our control, our, things around us will change automatically. But how many of us do that on a daily basis? That's that's the that's the question. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know. I think, um, I mean, you know, cer cer certainly it's more marketable, you know, the complicated and, you know, uh, creating uh, constant anxiety and sort of constant need and, yeah. you know, just being deficient, you know, constant deficiency. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, the, the, the world is run on markets, really. I mean, that's what it's about. I think some companies, forces. some individuals, they, they sell misery, they, mm. they sell pain, um, they make profit from that. I mean, there are so many things that we can prevent from happening. But this whole reliance on an individual or an organization or maybe medicines just to um, ease that pain when that pain can be managed in so many other ways or in, we could take a holistic approach towards ourselves and our lives in general but we we as humans um complicated beings you know in yeah, itself. And yeah you know that's the thing isn't it i mean you know it is a complicated system and i don't know i don't and know then you come across people who are so content yeah. with themselves with everything around them because they are so focused on the on the purpose um yeah. that they have in life to serve either themselves or the world and the contribution they're supposed to make in this world. So they're so focused on that, everything else is secondary. So you could either be sitting and craving for this or that, you can have an endless list of desires and wishes and wants, but there are some people who are content with just little that they have in life. And that has a major impact, not just on them, but everybody around them. So again, it's all about mindset. Yeah, it's all about yeah. how you respond and react to daily life stresses, events. So it differs from individual to individual. And and when when did you realize, uh, you know, your purpose in life? So I've had some um, experiences. I'm not going to say life's been a bed of roses. All the roses are full of thorns. But yeah, every experience taught me something. Yeah. It changed me from the core. Um, and I was looking for a purpose all this time, you know, as you grow older, you become, or you try to become more mature and then you feel that, okay, yes, you need a job to pay your bills. Yes. You need a place to live in a roof on your head and you need food to sustain yourself and not die. But is that it? Is that all life is all about? Just fulfill your materialistic, um, physical needs and that's it. Surely there's there's more to life. Surely there has to be a reason why Allah has kept me alive. I could have died um, so many times, you know, but I know that God saved me from so many incidents or accidents or experiences and I've survived them all. And I know most people in my position wouldn't have maybe because we all are different. But I know my faith really helped me in going through that time, that period where I could have just lost um, control of myself, but I, alhamdulillah, thank, thanks to God, um, I went through that difficult period and instead of becoming bitter, I think I've become a better person. I could have just been like um, pessimistic and negative and, you know, uh, just shown self-pity all the time, but I chose to grow out of that and become more resilient, more positive and try to look at the brighter side of things. And then in terms of finding a purpose is when you go through something yourself, 
when you experience it, when you're on the receiving end and you survive that experience, then you, you really reflect and you think over. And I think 2020 has been a year of self-discovery for me because this whole COVID thing, I was working from home. I wasn't interacting with other people. I was literally isolated for a whole year. And that made me think, reflect, ponder, ask key questions to myself, like, why am I here, you know? And then I've always been passionate about mental health. I mean, that's what I've studied. I'm into clinical psychology. I'm into um, spirituality. Um, I work as an NLP practitioner and um, a volunteer as a mental health outreach lead. So I used to deliver trainings and workshops and, you know, rest of it. But then I thought if I focus all my attention in just a couple of areas that I have ex personal experience in, and then use that experience to help other people overcome challenges in life. So the trauma that I have experienced, if somebody else is going through that, maybe I can help them in recover from that trauma to, to live fulfilling lives all over again. Because sometimes people think this is it, everything's over, there's nothing else in the future, but that's not the case. I feel if I can do it, anybody can. We all have that power, we all have that stamina and capacity. It's all up here. So what trauma are you talking about? Lots. So lots. <laughs> I don't even know where to start from, whether it's um being um in an abusive relationship, um married to a narcissist, and then that was challenging in itself, and then leaving the person, that wasn't easy. And the next few years that I spent in trying to get my divorce and trying to get away from that relationship, trying to rebuild my life, start all over again from scratch after losing everything that I lost, that wasn't easy. And by the time I kind of um, got back on my feet, started to live normally again, that's when I had an accident mm -hmm. and it was quite fatal. Alhamdulillah, thanks to God again. You've been um, resurrected. <laughs> you can say that. I mean, there was a point when I was just um, thinking, am I going to make it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to survive. Like, you know, and a few months later, I was back on my feet like nothing ever happened. And um, I surprised myself, <laughs> surprised um, a lot of people, including professionals who were not even sure at that point what's going to happen. But like I said, every single experience, every single trauma, it taught me something, it changed something inside of me. And if I be honest with you, I have no regrets. I don't regret it because I feel today I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't experience what I experienced. So today, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm working as a domestic abuse educator. Yeah. I go out, I talk to survivors, I talk to victims, I teach them what domestic abuse is how you can recover, how you can rebuild your life, how you can escape, how you can end that cycle. And it's so um, empowering, especially when I receive feedback from people, you know? They're like, oh, looking at you, you're always smiling and you're so bubbly. We never thought someone like you would have, could have been through what you have been through. And I was like, yeah, so if I can, so can you. It's not impossible. Yes, it's difficult. I'm not gonna lie. Yes, it's hard, it's challenging. There are times you just want to give up. You just got to hang in there. And faith is something that can make impossible into possible. If you have faith in yourself, you believe in yourself and you have faith in, in God, 
I mean, I, I consider myself a, <laughs> a spiritual person. I, I've seen miracles happening. And, um, and again, I'll say that mind is such a powerful tool, you know? Yeah. What was more difficult for you, leaving a narcissist or about to die and being in that situation? They both had their own impact, like in different ways. Yeah. One was physical, the other one was psychological. And in between, there was something else. So during that period, when I was at my most vulnerable state, that was the time when I realized who's really on my side, who's a true friend, and who's somebody who's just doing lip service, but when I was exposed to something like that in life, they just walked away. They kind of ghosted me when I needed them most. And I think that was more painful than actually being run over by a, by a car or a moped. So again, a wake up call for me that do I really need to rely on other people? Do I really have to depend on them? Or do I, am I capable enough to do everything myself? Do I really need to be emotionally dependent on someone else to survive and go through this journey called life? Or can I just do it on my own? Again, some very important key questions I ask myself. And I realized that, you know, when times get tough and difficult, uh, the people you kind of rely most on would sometimes just walk away. And that's how it is. So you just got to accept that. So if you ask me which one was more difficult, which one was more painful, they were painful in their own way. So, yeah, but they all kind of taught me different things about myself, about the world, about life in general. And again, finding my purpose, because I found my purpose through pain. So if I hadn't experienced that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. And, and people avoid pain. We all avoid yes. pain. Yes, of course. But yeah. when it happens, it happens. You've got to deal with it. Embrace the pain, as they say. Yeah. And I think the first step to healing is acceptance. Denial is not going to help. Denial is not going to help anyone. Acceptance is hard. I tell you that with experience. It's hard. But when you do accept, it's like a heavy burden off your shoulders. And then the next step is to focus on healing, recovery, not just physical, but mental and psychological as well. But but because you have a lot why of emotions do, to you know, why do people start accepting? What's the what's the catalyst? What's the trigger? What's what's the thing that allows them to start to accept? When you start questioning things, when you start reflecting on what's happened, why it happened, how it happened, what's going to happen next? Mm -hmm. And then comes the fear, the fear of the unknown. What if it happens again? What if history repeats itself? And sometimes that fear can become a phobia and it will stop you from moving further. For example, some people have an accident. They're like, you know what? I'm never going to drive again. Or they end up in a bad relationship. You know what? I'm never going to trust anyone else and I'm never going to consider anyone else again. So you start generalizing. 
And that's not right. So a lot of thinking, a lot of questioning and taking time out, taking time out for yourself away from everything and everyone. And I did that. So I took some time off from everything that I was doing. I went on this spiritual uh, retreat, you may like to call, uh, in Iraq, spent some time there. I let it all out, not in the form of aggression, but just the pain, you know, whether it's crying or lamenting or supplicating or meditation, whatever you like, everybody has their own way of dealing with pain. Some people use substances, some people resort to drinking. We all, we all are addicts in one way or the other, right? Some people are addicted to um, things that they consume. Some people are addicted to, I don't know, um, just going out in the nature, <laughs> it differs, but Everybody has their own coping strategies and mechanisms in place. And for me, the biggest coping strategy was to just disconnect myself from everything and everyone, go to this place where I could just sit, let my heart out, like, you know, pour it and speak to this person who is the most important figure in my life. And just allow that sense of calmness and contentment to, and then I, was observing people around me. There was this lady who had lost all her sons, her husband, her father, her home, as a result of war and conflict. And she's sitting next to me and she's offering something to eat. And I'm thinking, I'm here. I just went through one damn thing and I've lost control. I'm in so much pain, it's unbearable. And then, then look at this lady, she's lost everything. And then you're like, you know what? Life's not that bad. It's actually beautiful if you want it to be. Just take yourself out of that miserable situation and that, that you know, the pain that's here. And try to- Pain in your head, you know, you're pointing it. towards yeah. your head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of self-blame that comes along. Like, oh, this wouldn't have happened if I didn't do this. Or why did I miss out on the red flags? Why didn't I look at the warning signs before getting into that relationship, for example? So a lot of self-blaming, a lot of um, beating myself. And that's where you need to talk to a professional so that they can show you that no, you're not stupid, you're naive. There's a difference. Don't beat yourself. It's okay not to be okay. And no human being tells another human being to mistreat them. So if someone mistreated you, did something to hurt or harm you, you didn't ask for it. That was their character. They had a choice. So along the way, you learn that, you know what? How can I prevent this from happening again? And then you're like, okay, I need to set boundaries. I need to set limitations. I have to look out for the red flags. I have to analyze situations and not just get emotional, but use my mind to perceive things and then take a decision. So I have to make a lot of changes within myself if I want the circumstances to change around me. And I was reflecting a lot on what 
For example, my faith says to me. So for example, there's a verse in the Quran that says that God will not change your circumstances unless and until you take the initiative, you take the first step to make that change. So if I'm just going to sit on my backside and think, oh, someone's going to come with a magic wand and they're going to change everything for me. No, no, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. I have to physically get up and do something about it. And that's exactly what I did. Like I have to sort myself out. Can't, I can't go on like this. Yeah, and not I mean, everybody's going to support you on the journey. That's another thing. Some people are going to criticize you, make yeah. fun of you. They'll be like, oh, why do you need to speak to a counselor or a, or a psychotherapist or a cognitive behavior therapist? You've done your majors in clinical psychology yourself. You don't need that. But it's like saying to a doctor, a medical doctor, that if you're in pain or if you've broken a limb, no need to go to an orthopedic surgeon to get it fixed. You're a doctor. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, we are essentially inexperienced in life and, and we come to all sorts of obstacles and we think that's it. You know, we can't overcome the obstacle. Yeah. Um, and, and we can't be experienced in everything in life. You know, there's always something that we're inexperienced with. And, you know... Uh, we were made to, to look silly and as we get older we think we know it all but it uh, it just gets uh, just gets worse in terms of making mistakes self-pity self is the worst thing ever because it doesn't allow you to grow as a person you're just kind of stuck in that mode where you're just like oh this happened I'm in pain, it's all over. What if it happens again? But once you kind of start accepting things and you try to figure out why it happened and where this is gonna lead you to, that's when change happens. Do you think there's a cultural background behind this self-pity? Oh yes, oh yes, definitely. Like looking at our community specifically, right? Muslim community, mental health is a taboo topic. We still live um, in the same day and age where if someone comes to you and says, oh, they, they are in an abusive relationship, for example, what does our culture say? I mean, mo mo most people, they will be like, oh, you know, just be patient. Just forgive and forget and start afresh. It's okay. That's, that's normal. But when you look at what religion says, it's quite contradictory. Religion says that you can't even um, hurt anyone's emotions or feelings. You can't even leave a scar or a bruise on someone's body. Otherwise, you have to pay a penalty for that. There are no, um, you know, grounds for mistreating or abusing anyone, not even an animal, let alone a human being. But the culture is like, no, the woman has to be submissive regardless of what the husband's like. You know, I was told by a, by a scholar, Shaykh, that even if your husband is an alcoholic or a gambler or a drug addict or a, a wife beater, this, these are no grounds for divorce. You gotta deal with it. And that really made me think. And I was like, I'm sure, I'm dead sure this is not what my religion tells me. What they're saying, it's contradictory to my beliefs and faith. Yes, I'm not a scholar. I don't have that degree or uh, qualification, but I know this much. And that was another experience, which I'll call pretty traumatic because for three years, I was just going back and forth, back and forth from 
one center to another, trying to get justice and, you know, um, someone to just listen to me and help me get out of it. But I didn't, I didn't get that kind of support, unfortunately. And at that time, I thought that's just me. But the more number of sisters and women I came across, I had the shock of my life that, you know what? I'm not the only one. 99% of females have been through that. They've had similar experiences where they felt they're not being heard. They're not being supported. Most of these people are biased, inclined towards the man. It's man man's word against versus, you know, women's. So I was like, you know, someone's got to do something about it. We can't just keep quiet and allow that. So one of the things um, I'm doing alongside uh, on behalf of the charity that I volunteer for is to provide mental health training to faith and community leaders so that when someone approaches them, they know exactly what to say. They know exactly where to send that person to refer them to the right agencies and organizations and professionals rather than just saying, oh, maybe you're possessed by, a, by an evil spirit or maybe it's evil eye or you're not praying hard enough, you know. So th these, these kind of comments, they're gonna put people off. It's gonna make their symptoms from bad to worse. So we need to play our part in the community to educate people. So first you learn yourself, educate yourself, and then you pass on that knowledge to others, empower them. So even when you leave this world, you know you have made some difference, some impact. And in terms of change, do you see change happening or is it still early days? Of course, change is happening. Not on a large scale, but it's happening. Tell us more about that. Tell, tell us more about the change. So the change is happening at grassroots level. There aren't many charity organizations, there aren't many individuals who are working in this specific area, but there you can see there are people coming together and they're trying to bring that positive change within the community, within the society, by empowering women, by empowering people who are in authorities, you know, like faith leaders and community leaders, um, to train them, educate them, equip them so that they can influence others. Because for someone like me, who's just sitting here and giving a talk during a webinar, how many people am I gonna impact? 10, 20, 50, 100, not more. But when someone who is like of an authoritative figure, like a faith leader or a community leader or influencer, when he is addressing a whole room or a hall full of, I don't know, 500, 1,000 people. 1,000 men as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. That's gonna, even if it doesn't change or shift perceptions of those 1,000 people, even if it hits five people in the room, those five people are gonna go back to their homes, their families, their households, their communities, workplace, what have you. It's gonna spread. You know, the dom domino effect as they call it. So the focus is not on quantity. Focus is on quality of delivering the message, the training. It's, it's starting, it's happening, and there's hope it's gonna grow. And it is growing. It is growing. In the, in the right direction. Yes, yes. In fact, there, there, there is a, 
there is a group of scholars, faith leaders, um, it's called Imams Against Domestic Abuse. We never had any such thing uh, 20 years ago. Now, but people now are getting aware, they're educating themselves, they're opening up their minds. They want to know, they want to learn. Lots of people are also ignorant. Lots of people are naive. It's not like they choose to be ignorant or they choose to be um, not helpful, but they were kept in the dark because from the pulpit, we don't talk about these issues. You know, you have the traditional way of delivering talks or uh, lectures. It's the same old topic, same old issues. Our youth wants to hear things that they can relate to. So now you can see that happening. Like 50 years ago, you wouldn't see um, lectures and talks on stuff like, for example, mental health. But now you can hear these things even from the mosques, Islamic centers and community organizations because um, people are now changing their mindsets. People are now educating themselves. And especially in the new generation, it's totally different from the older generation, not just because of technology, but because of everything that's happening in the world. So even with COVID, so many people who never thought that they will be working from home, they're working from home. So many people have discovered themselves during lockdown. So many people have learned something new, learned a new hobby or a skill or a language during the self-isolation period, this lockdown. So it has changed the world, not just UK or Europe, but the entire world. Now, this change could be positive and it could be negative, but the intention is to create positive impact, positive change, and then just, just watch the ripple effect. And in I can that, see that happening. Uh, in that three-year period where you were trying to look for support, was there, I mean, what, what was the thing that sort of allowed you to you know, to find your real self again, what happened? I came across some really lovely, amazing people and they just offered help, support. They did everything that was in They believed hand. in you. Not just believed in me, they believed in justice. They believed in treating people with mercy, compassion and kindness. And that's exactly what they did. Yes, they were few in number. I can count them on my fingertips, but they were there. So yes, I could see that majority is being unjust. Majority is being um, cruel or unkind, or they choose not to help because of their power, position, reputation, what have you. But then there is a group of people who genuinely want to do something. They want to help. And they did everything that was in their hand. But it didn't change the, the situation because that was only in the hand of the person who was in authority to carry out that, you know, um, process. That abuse. Yes, or to when, I, when a woman approaches them and says, um, okay, I would like to file for a divorce. And then they're like, no, 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 don't do that. They'll do, they'll try to kind of help you know, not force, but they'll be like reconcile, mediate and, you know, rest of it. But for them to acknowledge that there are things that can be forgiven and forgotten, 
And then there are things that if you deal with them anymore, you'll be dead. You'll end up in a hospital or you end up with a nervous breakdown or, I mean, so many people die, right? I mean, every week in UK, two women die as a result of, um, they're killed by their partners. Every, every three minutes, the Metropolitan Police receives one phone call from someone that they're being abused. So it's so common. And it's common across all communities, all faiths, all ethnicities. So you can't say, oh, this only happens in this community. No, 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 no. Happens everywhere. Rich, poor, believers, non-believers, everywhere. And has it got worse over the, the COVID period? Because Oh, know, yes. Yeah. The, the amount of organizations, the amount of individuals who approached me to deliver a talk on domestic abuse, um, I was just amazed. So domestic abuse was like another pan pandemic within COVID pandemic. So we would watch the news that every day 200, 300 people are being tested positive, but nobody said how many people are being abused on a daily basis. That didn't make headlines. That was never breaking news. We knew these many people passed away today as a result of Corona, but we never saw it in the news how many people died because they were hit or killed by their partners. That doesn't make news. That's not breaking news, is it? It's the norm. You know, like someone says that when a man is um, mistreated um, or abused, it's a tragedy. But when a woman is abused or hurt or mistreated, it's tradition. Get over it. We still have that mindset. You could have a PhD, but some people still have that mindset. Despite all the education and training and everything that they have acquired in life, they still have this, this what they call it, cultural belief, or I don't know where it stems from. But one thing I'll say that it's contradictory to the teachings of Islam. Totally contradictory. And and you're seeing change in this in this sort of cultural uh, norm. When I say change, I'm not referring to change within households yeah. or individuals. I'm talking about change at a at an organizational level. Mm -hmm. For example, more and more organizations are are being established yeah. who provide free counseling support, free mental health services free faith-based mental health services to, to victims and survivors and just people in general who are experiencing... So you think it hasn't issues. actually filtered down into the actual households? It's still, you know, out there in terms of lip service and, and, and possibly some service, but it hasn't actually filtered down into the grassroots. Because... You're nodding your head the here. The change has yeah, to come yeah. from here. The change yeah. has to come from here. I could, I could go to, a I could attend a talk or a lecture and hear the person saying, oh, this is wrong, this is unacceptable, this is illegal, this is forbidden, this is not permissible. That's just a talk, right? Yeah. Unless and until I implement that in my life, nothing's gonna change. But most, most of us are in denial because it's, it's comfortable being in denial. It's, it's like a different defense mechanism people used, you know, like, 
cognitive avoidance. Don't think about it. Yeah. I, I know, I know, I've, I come across women. They've been in abusive relationships. And when I say abuse, I'm not just listening, um, referring to like being physically hit. I'm talking about spiritual, financial, um, psychological manipulation, neglect. They've been in it for 20, 30 years and they had no clue. They thought this is the norm. This is normal. This is how women are supposed to be treated in a relationship. So when they attend these um, talks or webinars or as, as they call it, freedom programs, they have the shock of their lives. I'm like, really? I mean, I've come across sisters, you know, when I'm delivering trainings and I show them verses from the Quran, from the narrations of the prophets, um, from the iman, lives of the imams, that this is how you're supposed to treat your spouse with kindness, mercy, compassion, and how women have so many rights. They, they have, they're under no obligation to cook or do household chores. Um, their money is their money. The husbands have to pay for everything. You know, when I tell these things, um, like a woman can even take compensation for nursing her own child in Islam, they're like, really? And I was like, yeah. It's like, no one ever told us that. The only thing we heard growing up was that you have to be submissive. Do as you're told. Forget about your needs, your wants, your desires. Your purpose in life is to obey your husband no matter what and please him and his family and in-laws, what have you. It's as if telling a woman that she doesn't have an identity, she doesn't have a purpose in life. She's not a human being almost. And I was like, man, this is, this is not Islam. This is like totally opposite. So I was like, where's the problem? Where is this coming from? And that's where I understood that, especially people living in the Indian subcontinent, they have learned a lot of these rituals and these traditions and cultural um, values from other faiths and other people and other communities. And they have confused it with religion. Although religion has nothing to do with it. Religion says, love your neighbor, <laughs> be kind to your neighbor. And you're not even being kind to your own spouse. You're not even loving your own spouse. That's like insane. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, another thing I've noticed, the understanding of the term patience. It is so twisted. Most people, even in this present day and time, the, the thing patience means to suffer in silence. And I tell them, no, 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 that's not what patience is all about. Patience doesn't mean to suffer in silence. Patience doesn't mean to keep quiet about the injust injustices that are happening to you or to someone else. Patience is something far more bigger and greater than that. You know, it's about resilience. It's about perceiving things differently. It's about having hope. Patience is not about losing hope or being helpless. It's, it's the other way around, actually. It's about having, having faith, having belief that things will get better. It's, it's not going to last forever. Nothing stays the same forever. Yeah, it's about working through the pain and the suffering yes. rather than just persevering with it. And just because solutions. something bad happened to you, doesn't mean that you should do the same to someone else. Someone's got to break that chain. That's that's another thing I've observed in our in our community in general. 
and people in general, not just one community. People carry transgenerational trauma and they literally pass it up, pass it down from one generation to another, like Tupperware, literally. It's like, let go of the baggage. Yes, your grandparents or great grandparents went through this, but that doesn't mean you have to do the same thing with your children or your grandchildren. Someone's got to break that cycle. And when you tell them, why, why can't you do that? Why can't you be that person who will bring that change? And people are so fearful, uncertain, scared. And 90% of that is just up here. Yeah. They can do it if they want to, but they just choose not to because it's too much work. You'll take them out of their comfort zone. People would rather suffer knowing what the suffering is going to be like than to get out of the situation, to search for comfort and peace. And I've seen that. I see it every day where people are like moaning and complaining and they're going through difficulties in life or what have you. And then when you say, okay, is there anything you can do to change? And then they start thinking and they say, well, yeah, if we did this or if you do that, or if you take these steps, then yes. So what's stopping you? Ah, oh, no, it's, it's, it's okay. It's too, it's too risky. Oh, how am I going to um, manage everything on my own? Uh, wh what will become of my kids? Uh, how will I pay the bills, for example? So lots of women, they choose to live with their abusive partners. And they're okay with the fact that their children are growing up in an environment where they're witnessing conflict on a daily basis. Whereas there are so many researches that says that a child who's exposed to violence and um, conflict experiences the same level of trauma that a soldier does on the battlefield. But people don't, it's, it's complicated, it's hard, but I feel we're responsible to an extent. We can create change. It's not always impossible, but we choose to complicate things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, with um, with your initiatives and initiatives that uh, the, that you're working with, people that you're working with, um, you know, the change has started and the change is coming. And, um, you know, as you said, with the domino effect, you know, there can only be one direction, really. We can't go the other way. Mm. I think the times of going the other way have, uh, have long gone. We can only go in one direction. And that's, um, you know, uh, letting people understand that this is wrong and this isn't, mm. uh, this isn't right. Uh, and we need to be more experienced about it, about how to deal with it. Because it's new for a lot of people, and 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 you know, new things are, are, are difficult for people to to accept and understand, and that's what it is. Because change itself yeah. can be a scary process, right? Yeah, I mean, it's ignorance at the end of the day. That's what it's about. And you know, we're in darkness and coming into the light, and that's what it's about. You know, being enlightened by people like yourself. Um, it's like when you've been in a dark room for a very long time yeah. and then suddenly you're exposed to light you just go like this yeah yeah yeah. shield yourself but eventually you know eventually you let go and you embrace the new um yeah i mean there's a lot of work ahead of us um a lot of work ahead of yourself 
um, and um, looking forward to the change. Um, it's been a, nearly an hour already. It's gone very quickly. Um, what would what would your advice be to our our young girls? Because I've got two young daughters. You know, one's uh, thirty and the other is eight. So, what would your advice be? Because you know they're a new generation. They're not. Yes. You know they've sort of a kind of a hybrid um, artificial intelligence and east west kind of you know hybrid uh, Tesla hijabi kind of you know mix. What would you sort of I, three 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 top tips be to them? You know, from my own personal experiences. I, I, I give this advice to everyone. Three things. First, believe in yourself. Believe in something that is greater to you, who's more powerful, who is there, who's not judgmental. He will listen to you and find a way out. And the third thing is not to live in fear. Fear is the worst thing you can live with. It, it stops you from growing as a person. It stops you from achieving your goals. It prevents you from, it's, it's like being in captivity. You know, it's, it's like being in a cage, being in, in, in a prison. Because when you, when you fear, you, you just stop. It's like flight and fight response, right? So as I say, you know, feed your faith and starve your fears. Like don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Be free, free from tyranny, free from oppression, free from injustices, and not just injustices that are happening around us, but even with your own self. Sometimes we we inflict pain on ourselves without even realizing it. You know, we we do injustices to ourselves. We deliberately stop ourselves from allowing ourselves to breathe or do things that are meaningful or productive because we're so fearful or enjoyable. Fearful of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Fearful of um, what the people will say, what the community will say. Just fear God, forget the rest. You know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the theory, I mean, formula I apply in my life. And that's the advice I'm going to give to everyone. Well, it's been a great pleasure listening to you today. And um, uh, yeah, you're a great host. Uh, and I've been on your show and it was uh, really fun. And um, what's the best way of, of people contacting you? Um, they can follow my page on Facebook, which is Waritha Zainab, Waritha with a W-A-R-I-T-H-A, Z-A-Y-N-A-B, or you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Same name, Waritha Zainab. Great. Um, wonderful, wonderful. And I'm looking forward to the new changes uh, in the community, you know, the necessary changes because it's, it's essential. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Haider for having me. You're welcome.